Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Ladies and gentlemen, it's bowl season. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the College Football Bowl betting preview part three. I'm Stucky. With me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Hope you have your voice nice and rested. We have 14 bowls to get through from Monday, December 27th through December 30th. You ready to roll? Of course. Munkin's kicking field goals. We're not getting the game tied. We're missing two point. Elijah Drinkwitz is yelling at kids, but we move on in bowl season. What are you going to do? The one thing you have to remember, I mean, last year when I crushed, just crushed bowl season, I was getting a lot of breaks. In order to have a huge bowl season, you have to get very lucky. And in order to have a really bad bowl season, you have to get very unlucky because there's, it's just so high variance because you have, you know, number one, who's playing. You'll learn before the game who's out. Number two, who's motivated? Number three, you have teams that will just, you know, it's an exhibition. Go for it on fourth downs, trick plays. Like, it's just a lot of, uh, you know, just carelessness and non-standard play. But that's the beauty of, uh, beauty of bowl. So, had a, I've had a couple coin flips go against me. A couple good calls, a couple bad calls. We move on and hope that the variance breaks our way the rest of the way. And if it doesn't, we march on. So, we have 14 bowls to get to. So, let's dive right in. Let's start with the quick lane bowl. On Monday, December 27th, we have 7-5 and five Western Michigan taking on 8-4 and four Nevada. Nevada opened as a 7-point favorite. They are now 7-point underdogs. Uh, this game is at 11 a.m. on ESPN in Ford Field, at Ford Field in Detroit, Michigan. So the first thing you have to note, why did this line move so much? Um, I, I have Western Michigan Plus, so I'm, I'm assuming they're cooked. So if you're out there, just bet Nevada alt lines. But... Why, so why is this line move so much? Well, Nevada lost their head coach, Jay Norvell, and he took he took the head coach job at Colorado State. He took their, you know, and their defense coordinator, by the way, Brian Ward, he left and went to Washington State. 
offensive coordinator Matt Mummy, he went and an offensive line coach, wide receiver coach, tight end coach, special teams coach. They're all going with Norvell. The whole staff is gone. The running back coach is the head coach. And then, oh, yeah, you have Carson Strong, NFL draft pick, a quarterback. He opted out. Their wide receivers, Stovall and Lockhart, opted out. I expect Romeo Dubs to opt out next. Their future NFL tight end, Cole Turner, he opted out. Their starting left tackle, Jacob Garter, he opted out. Their best player on defense, All-Mountain West linebacker, Dalen Henley, he opted out. Cornerback A.J. King, led cornerbacks in snaps, he's transferring. Henley's backup, Torre, linebacker, he's transferring. Uh, Their backup quarterback, who's supposed to be the future, he's in the transfer portal. So you have 6'9", Nate Cox is going to start at quarterback. He's thrown 22 passes for Nevada. Athletic kid. He played in the Little League World Series for Louisiana back in 2011. He's a lefty punter, a righty kicker, and a righty thrower. But 6'9", dude, that's so big for a quarterback. I think the record in the NFL is like 6'8". So who's playing for Nevada? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they'll care. Um, And Western Michigan, look, they're getting to play at Ford Field. Like, a lot of these kids are from Michigan. It's probably a dream of theirs to play there. Regional advantage, time advantage. This game's at 11 a.m. for Eastern for a West Coast team. Western Michigan's lost their last three bowls. I I just don't – Nevada had bigger hopes than this. I think this is the biggest clown show I've ever seen with Nevada. They have no coaches and no players left. Um, So uh, I have Western Michigan plus three and a half and plus four. I'm sure I'll find a way to lose it to all the backups, but uh, I love my position now. I probably, uh, look, I think you took Nevada. I, I couldn't put my money. I couldn't put my money anywhere near Nevada, uh, but you can make the case. Go ahead. I mean, the more I read about it, the more I found out that this is going to be at least a motivated interim coaching staff that's coming in for Nevada. Yeah. We talk about Nate. You're reading, you're reading coach speak again. <laughs> no, I'm not reading coach speak. Just, reading the tea leaves of the coaching situation. I mean, when we talk about Cox, he's got 19 passing attempts on the season. 11 of those were against New Mexico State. No interceptions, no turnover-worthy plays. I mean, this is limited sample, so you can't take anything away from that. But do you assume that they stay in the 11 formation and they throw more than 65% of the time on offense like they did with Carson Strong when interim coach Vai Taua is going to be the guy that's calling the shots here? Now, if you want to know who that is, He's one of the best running backs in the history of Nevada football. I think he's the all-time rushing leader. Special teams analyst before he became in his role of running backs coach the last two years. Now, Taua played for Ken Wilson, the guy that's going to be the next head coach. Now, Ken Wilson's not going to be there. He's still wrapping up his duties as a defensive assistant for Oregon's bowl game, but he will soon be the head coach. Taua was hired as assistant head coach for Nevada, so he is still going to be there. He cares about this game. In his personal career, he was a three-time all-whack running back, over 4,500 career yards, 22 TDs in his senior year, and that was when Wilson was associate head coach. And like I said, Wilson's not going to be there, but what if this is a complete identity change for Nevada to say we are now a running team, we're going to run in 21, we're going to run in 11, we're going to run the ball a whole bunch. They do have two running backs. Like You don't pay attention about his running game because it's been Carson Strong for so long, but they actually do have two very competent running backs. So I think this is a thing where they might completely change schemes and completely change the way that they're going to run their offense based on who this interim coach is and his past. And based well, I would on- hope they have no quarterback and no receiver. <laughs> right. So I think it's going to be a running game out of them. And listen, for Western Michigan, we get Caleb Ellaby, we get Sky Moore, an offense that was high in success rate and explosiveness, but they were outside the top 50 in finishing drive. So 
Nevada was a much better rush defense than a pass defense. So I'm expecting the majority of the Broncos points to come off of chunk plays, passing downs, explosiveness in the air. Western Michigan dead last in special teams, 116th in tackling. I just think seven is the point where we've reached the saturation point in the market where people are buying back. I'm glad Miami of Ohio won today before you and I started recording, but the Mac has just been pure fade all season. So I think it's going to be an offensive identity change for Nevada. I like it. I'm going to take them at seven. I think it's just way too many points. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe I'll take like a tiny, tiny piece of Nevada just because I have a lot of money and I'll be suicidal if I can't win a game with double digit closing line value after all the losses I've had doing that this year. But I, I can't see I, – there's just so much uncertainty from the staff to the players. Um, Dubs, by the way, hasn't opted out yet, but I, I right. assume that he will. All right, let's move on to the Military Bowl, also on Monday, December 27th. This game is at 2.30 Eastern on ESPN between 7 and 5 East Carolina and 6 and 6 Boston College. Boston College is a three-point favorite over under 53. This game will be played in Annapolis, Maryland at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. BC, for what it's worth, opted out of a bowl last year. They won their last appearance in 2019. East Carolina, it's their fall since 2015. I assume both of these teams will be highly motivated. They have coaches who are – both head coaches will be coaching in their first bowl games. So I don't think motivation is an angle here. BC, by the way, they went 6-6, six and six, but they were 1-4 with Dennis Grossel at quarterback, and they averaged – 10 points per game in those four losses. They were five and two in the other seven games, but only one and one uh, against bowl eligible teams. Jerkovich had an easier schedule. ECU for what it's worth was two and five versus bowl teams, but those two wins were miracles. I mean, they, against Marshall, they were down like 21 in the fourth quarter and one of the craziest comebacks of the year. And then they won by one in overtime over Memphis in the game they were outplayed in. And if you remove, look, I, I like the over here. I think the line is about right. I think both teams will be motivated. I think that this, this Boston College team, by the way, they loved running it and they were a super snail at the end of the year. For the season, they were, not, they were sixth in the country in standard down rush rate, even though they have like a potential future NFL quarterback. And they went super slow at the end of the year. But bowl game, you know, I expect them to open it up more. And I expect Jerkovich to be a lot healthier, right? He came out and he said that he was banged up. At the end of the year, you came back from that injury. So I think he'll be much healthier and he'll look a lot more competent. The Jerkovich that we saw pre-injury, this break probably did him wonders. So I think that they can have success against East Carolina, a defense that if you remove games against Temple in South Florida, they allowed 30.8 points per game. Eight of the 10 opponents got to more than 28. So I think that's a fair kind of range for Boston College to get to. Boston College's offensive line coming in the year is supposed to be one of the best in the country. It it didn't end up being the case. They were very disappointing from a metrics standpoint. And you, you got to keep an eye on Lidstrom and Johnson, their center and guard who are future pros, if they opt out. But they are huge. And East Carolina's defensive line is bad and small and undersized and young. So I think that the line of scrimmage, Boston College should dominate the line of scrimmage here. East Carolina also doesn't get after the quarterback. So Boston College has success running it. And then when Jerkovich wants to drop back to throw, he's going to have all day to pick apart the East Carolina zone defense. So I think Boston College, even though they might play slow, I don't think they're going to play as slow as they did at the end of the year. They should be able to move the ball here. It's also worth noting that uh, their star tight end is back for this bowl game. He was their second leading receiver during the season and then was hurt towards the end of the year. East Carolina, their offensive line is disgusting. Um, but 
good news for them is Boston College's defensive line is not good. Doesn't get after the quarterback well. ECU defense, by the way, very lucky with interceptions and, and turnovers, and they were unlucky on offense with fumbles. So I think there's some regression there that could help the over. And I think East Carolina, it's Holt Nailers. He's going to high variance guy. He might have some bad throws at the end of turnovers, but he's going to make some good throws as well. The BC secondary was good this year, but they can give up some yardage on the ground. Allers will have time. So, like, I think that that was one of the biggest things with him in this passing attack is that it's kind of an air raid light, but he just didn't have time a lot. And BC's just not getting after the quarterback. So I see a lot of many paths to success for both offenses. The pace of BC worries me a bit, but I think that Jerkovich – him being not healthy, Grossell being in there for five games, a lot of BC's offensive numbers are very deflated artificially. Um, so I actually like this over. I played it at 51. It's up to 53. I wouldn't go higher than 53 and a half. Um, but I think there's actually – this has a, a sneaky over on the bowl slate, and hopefully it goes better than uh, my Ohio North Texas. What do you see here? Yeah, I agree with you. The numbers starting to get up there a little high for the for the over. Uh, you know, Dracovic sticking around for another season, which is good because this offense, it's just you can't look at the advanced stats with Boston College because of how many injuries and and they've been so up and down. But I mean, they scored 17 or less in six of their last eight games. Uh, there's just not been a lot yeah. of points being getting up on the board for the Eagles. And, you know, East Carolina, their bottom 10 in defensive pass rush uh, per PFF. So that means that Dracovic's going to have plenty of time. But like I said, is this the offense we're going to get? Are we going to get the best version of the Boston College offense? Uh, we don't know because I, I don't, I'm even sure if we've seen it all season. So, you know, there's not going to be any changes on the ECU side. Mike Houston, uh, he said in his presser that they installed the game plan before National Signing Day, sent the kids home on Christmas with a playbook. Uh, the Pirates are going to have three practices when they get back for this game. Holt Nailers really went backwards uh, in big-time throw versus turnover-worthy play ratio this season. Uh, the offensive line is bottom 15 in pass protection. That's a part of it. They're bottom 15 in line yards for the run game, so that's a part of it. I mean, all opponents are playing in the backfield of the Pirates. The two defenses, they both have advantages in finishing drives. I, I really think this game comes down to the quarterback that hits more explosive plays between Jakovic and Ehlers. I think at three and a half, you might want to put some attention on East Carolina. I'm not sure it's going to get there. Uh, so I'm staying away from the side. I agree with you over, maybe a first half over uh, ECU at three and a half would get my interest, but uh, it, it's all about who's going to connect on the explosive plays. Yeah. And for what it's worth, East Carolina outside zone running team, that's given BC some issues this year. Also East Carolina's defense, they are 109th in explosive plays allowed. So they allow a lot of explosive plays. Jerk is going to have time. You know, the ECU runs a lot of zone. They have one really good corner, and I think his name's McMillan. But, yeah, I think that he's going to be able to find holes in this zone. And then you mentioned the ECU offensive line. A lot of negative plays they allow. Really, It really stunts their offense a lot. But BC outside the top 100 in tackles for loss. Not a great D-line that's going to cause a lot of havoc. And another thing worth mentioning, this introduces a lot of variance but into the game. But ECU, one of the most aggressive teams on fourth downs uh, in the country. I expect that to continue as well. So be prepared for fourth down attempts if you're getting involved in this game. All right, let's move on to our third bowl game of the day. And to do that, we have to move on to Tuesday, December 28th. What a day, a Tuesday with five bowl games. Let's start with the Ticket Smarter. 
Birmingham Bowl. I guess it's like a ticket app. This is between 11 and 2 Houston and 6 and 6 Auburn, noon Eastern on ESPN in Protective Stadium in Birmingham, Alabama. So Auburn has a little regional advantage here that's worth noting. Auburn this year was 4 and 6 versus bowl teams, but they lost their final four games of the season, including a heartbreaking season ending loss which was basically their Super Bowl against Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Do they care about this bowl? I don't know. Um, I don't see how they really would. Uh, Houston, by the way, went four and two against bowl teams, but obviously had a much easier schedule than Auburn. But I, I like I just think that, you know, I mean, Auburn lost to South Carolina and they were just they, and then they laid it all on the table. Let's win Alabama. Let's beat Alabama to make our season. Then they lose in overtime. I, I don't know if they really show up for this bowl. Bo Nix transferred their starting right tackle, Berdarius Ham, will be out. Starting center, Nick Brahms, is out through surgery. Starting guard, Tayshawn Manning, is out. Their star cornerback, who's just huge first-round draft pick, Roger McCreary, he's out. Uh, their starting middle linebacker, tackling machine, probably their best linebacker is Kobe McClain. He's out, and that's because Owen Popoe, uh, he's been practicing a little bit, but he's been hurt all year. A few other depth guys are also out. Teams also, yeah, they fired offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. Houston looks like everyone's going to go except one big loss for them is Marcus Jones, who's declared for the NFL, their star cornerback, and most importantly, one of the best returners in the country. But when I look at this Houston defense, unbelievable defensive line, and they're great against the run. They're fifth in success rate overall. They can give up some explosives, in, especially in the passing game, but that's not the strength of Auburn. I mean, Auburn doesn't have great receivers. You have Finley, who's going to be presumably the quarterback, but he's dealing with an ankle injury. You might have this kid Davis that's in there. But Auburn wants to run the ball. Not really a downfield passing team. That sets right up into Houston's hands. These are two teams that two teams that don't play particularly fast. And, and Auburn does, I guess, pass a little more than they run, but they, they're not like a downfield explosive passing attack. The only question I have with Houston, and by the way, they're number one in the, in the country in third down defense, is will Hogerson punt, punt the bowl game? Judging from past results and things that he says, he he doesn't care about bowl games. He, you know, he's one and seven against the spread in bowl games, oh and seven in his last seven, two and five straight up. Only Rod Carey is less profitable in bowls since 2005. He's lost his last four by double digits. And usually what he does with these bowls is like and bowl practices is he's getting young guys reps, he's trying out new things, basically using it as a preparation for next year not to win the bowl game. However, I backed Houston plus three once I started to see some of these, the writing on the wall for some of these Auburn opt-outs and also thinking that Auburn wouldn't care. It's an SEC team. I think it's an important game for recruiting. This team was, you know, it's a top 20 team. I don't think that'll punt it, but it's a risk. I don't know where Olgerson, his head's at. Uh, but I mean, just the losses for Auburn, especially on that offensive line, that's going to be a problem against the strength of this Houston defense, which is up front. I think that Houston, who can't really run the ball, but can have success now throwing the ball against an Auburn defense that will be without, you know, some star linebackers. And most importantly, McCreary, who is just massive for that defense. So I played some Houston plus three. Hopefully Holgerson doesn't boot this bowl, but I also don't think that Auburn cares. What do you see here? Yeah. I mean, Auburn with four straight losses to end the season, so you do have, kind of have to question their motivation. Bo Nix is transferred to Oregon. Can't wait to talk about that. His first game against Georgia next year. Uh, Heisman ticket. You going to get a Heisman ticket? 
Oh, yeah, you know we'll be first in line. Uh, a new offensive coordinator uh, has been named with Mike Bobo out the door. The biggest w- issue with this offense, whether it was T.J. Finley or Bo Nix, is the run-pass balance. I mean, Brian Harson talked about it multiple times after a ton of games that getting back to being on the ground is the power of the team, yet they would never do it. They were passing way too much. So the rumors of Tank Bigsby hitting the portal were a direct result of him splitting carries and the fact that they passed too much this season. Um, but, you know, they – if you do a little bit more reading, uh, Harson said that we had to sell Tank Bigsby on our vision of what Auburn is going to be to get him to come back out of the portal. The, you know, Auburn had 22 rushing yards against Alabama. They had 73 against Texas A&M. And their biggest games of the season, they just they didn't they didn't care about the running game whatsoever. And Auburn would confidently be able to move the ball, but you know, there's at least three starters missing from the offensive line. That's what worries me. Is there's three big starters on the offensive line. Houston's success is going to be through the air. So with Roger McCreary not there, a monster piece of that Auburn secondary, I think Clayton Toon's going to have a really big day. Uh, you know, South Carolina. Well, especially has, a guy like Nathaniel Dell. Yes. Having having McCreary out there would have been massive. Yeah, Nathaniel Dell is not only just, you know, Clayton Toon's favorite target. He received more targets on third down than anybody on this team. So I think Houston's going to have some success here. Auburn's going to do their best to make this a ground attack first. If Auburn doesn't go full tank on the ground, they could lose their best offensive player in the portal right after this game. I would opt to pick out some of those Auburn minus 125 money lines that are out there. I lean to taking it over. If a juiced 51, if you can get 51 bought down to 51, I, I kind of lean to the over here because Clayton Toon's going to go straight to the air and eventually Auburn's going to have to do the same thing. I think with Roger McCreary out, Houston's going to score some points and I think Auburn can retaliate. So my favorite player is the over. I don't know. I just don't have a feel what I'm getting from the Auburn offense. Is Finley healthy? Are they going to run it? Are they going to throw it? And then Houston, if they punt, they punt this ball, then uh, then they their offense might look ugly. And so I'm already involved with some Houston plus three. Uh, that's it for me. All right, let's move on to the second bowl on Tuesday, December 28th. And that's the first responder bowl. Shout out to all the first responders out there between Air Force and Louisville. Louisville. This line's been sitting between one, one and a half. This has been one of the more quiet bowl movement games. Uh, The total's currently sitting at 55. This game's at 315 Eastern on ESPN. It's in Dallas, Texas at Gerald J. Ford Stadium. Both teams won their last bowl in 2019, didn't play in one last year. However, the Cardinals did recently lose their first and fourth leading receivers to the transfer portal in Jordan Watkins and Justin Marshall. So that's worth noting. These are two run-heavy teams that are below average in pace. When you look at Louisville's offense, so that's where they're similar, right? They want to run it, and then they don't play fast. But where they're different is Louisville's explosive but not efficient. And, you know, Malik Cunningham, you're relying on him to make some explosive plays. they got a lot of speed at receiver. Now that's going to be hurt a little bit with some of the transfers. And then Air Force, they're efficient but not explosive at all. Obviously, they lead the country in rush attempts. They're a triple option offense. Air Force D actually did a good job in limiting explosive plays this year. When you are capping a service academy team in a bowl game, you got to look at the run D. Louisville's defense, 87th in rush success rate, 93rd in EPA per rush. They're also 98th in line yards, 99th in opportunity rate. Air Force is top 25 in on offense in both opportunity rate and line yards. You'd think that they're going to be able to get a push here. Louisville's also down their top two corners 
in Greedy Vance and Keytrey Clark. Don't know how much that really matters here, but it's worth noting. Defensive coordinator for Louisville, Brian Brown and Satterfield. Scott Satterfield, the head coach for Louisville, who I think is perfect, has a perfect record in bowls. They did have some experience facing the triple option at App State. Brown held them before he left for Louisville in 2017. He held them to 14 or less in each of the last five meetings before leaving his post there. Air Force D thrives in getting after the quarterback. Don't know if they've seen someone quite as dynamic as Cunningham, though. Army burned us minus three. Um, I got to give credit to Missouri's run defense. Played better than I thought. But it's service academy. I mean, I just pretty much blindly bet them. They're 37-11 and 11 against the spread in bowl games now since 19. I know that they're going to show up. This Some of the Louisville run defense metrics are a bit worrisome. So I am I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I'm most likely going to be in on an auto play on Air Force here. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to take a different angle on this. I mean, Air Force was on a heater to end the season. Three straight up wins, three straight up covers, three straight up overs. Uh, the Falcons covered every single game away from home this year. This is a team that knows how to travel. And the question is, is can the Louis- can Louisville defense stop the triple? The Cardinals are outside the top 100 rushing success rate and line yards are bottom 15 and defensive uh, rush expected points. So there could be some explosive plays here by Air Force. And the biggest gap in finishing drives is between the Air Force offense and the Louisville defense. It's, it's not even close. So I expect Air Force to score a lot of points. So I'm backing you there. Now, I, I don't think Louisville's seen the triple since 2004. And the last time Satterfield saw the triple, it was in 2018. He got blown out by Georgia Southern. So uh, those 15 practices that you're given, uh, <laughs> I mean, you got to be disciplined to face this Air Force team. So the question really, the handicap in this game for me comes down to, can Air Force on defense contain Malik Cunningham? Can you tackle him in space? But you get back to the schedule in 2021. I mean, Doug Brumfield didn't play for UNLV. Nikosi Perry for Florida Atlantic. Seven yards per play on designed runs for Florida Atlantic. So there's reason to believe that Louisville is going to get this ball down this field, especially being fifth in rush EPA and Air Force defense is 126th against the explosive run. They have not seen a Malik Cunningham. Both team major advantages in offensive finishing drives, really poor defensive finishing drives. I project this at 58. I'll take it over the key of 55. Yeah, I don't I don't mind the over two. The only thing that scares me, a lot of runs, slow pace. Fourth downs. It's going to be a high variance game. I assume Louisville might be a little more aggressive, but Air Force is going to go on fourth downs. So if you're if you get a couple, probably goes over. If you if you get stuffed a couple times, as we saw today, you might be in trouble. But I do expect a lot of explosive plays in this one. All right, let's move on to the third bowl game on Tuesday, December 28th. That's the Liberty Bowl between six and six Texas Tech and seven and five Mississippi State. Mississippi State's out to a nine and a half point favorite over under. 58 and a half. This game will be played at 645 Eastern on ESPN at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee. So this is Texas Tech's first bowl game since 2017. Mississippi State did win its bowl game last year over Tulsa by two with uh, brawls at the end, if some of you recall. <laughs> but it's worth noting Leach is three and eight against the spread in bowls. Uh, we talk about this a lot. The air raid loses some of its rhythm because um, he seems to take bowls serious. He's like – Everyone is a duty to play in bowls. For Mississippi State, it's worth noting that first, likely first round pick, Charles Cross, their offensive stud offensive tackle, he's declared for the NFL draft and won't play in this bowl. Texas Tech, a lot of moving pieces here. They recently announced they're going to hire Baylor associate head coach Joey McGuire, but interim head coach Sonny Cumbie, he's going to be the head coach for this game, even though he already accepted the head coaching job at Louisiana Tech. Cumbie was Leach's 
former quarterback. Leach also thinks that Texas Tech owes him money. There's a lot of uh, a lot of drama here. And running back, I think running backs coach DeAndre Smith's like overseeing things, but Cumbie's going to be like the head coach during the game. Cumbie did say that Tyler Shuck, he's not available, and it's going to be Donovan Smith who's going to make his fourth consecutive start here. When I look at this game, I say, all right, the only thing I'm worried about, does Mississippi State care? I think they do. Leach kind of takes these seriously, but how much rust is there going to be? Because if there's not a lot of rust, Rodgers was incredible this year, and Texas Tech has no answer for him. Hundred and I mean, look, look at some of these numbers here are, oof, Texas Tech's defense, 114th in EPA per play, 109th in pass success rate, 120th in EPA per pass. The Texas Tech defense, 116th on third down day. A lot of that is because they're 114th in yards to go. How about Miss State? Top 20 in both of those stats. So their offense always manageable third downs. And it's a quick strike passing offense, but it's slow. Right? They don't they have they don't go fast. They eat up clock. They methodically move it down the field through the air. Texas Tech's defense better against the run than the pass. Meaningless here. No one runs it less frequently than Mississippi State. Mississippi State's defense. Yeah, and I think that's the most talented unit in this in this game. They have good corners. They're excellent against the run. So I just don't see Texas Tech's offense doing much with Smith under center. And I think once Mississippi State gets going, as long as they care here, I think that they win this game by double digits. But there's a couple things that worry me. It's the it's the rust, the red zone. Mississippi State has a lot of trouble in the red zone. They don't run the ball. That air raid, once they get down inside the 20 – even though Texas Tech's bad at finishing drives on defense, and then special teams. Mississippi State doesn't have a kicker, so I don't like their kicking situation is horrible. Texas Tech's special teams are also really good. Uh, it's also worth noting that Texas Tech star receiver, their best receiver by far, he just opted out. Azukama just opted out of the of the bowl uh, a couple hours ago. I'm leaning Mississippi State here. I might have them in a money line parlay. What do you see here? Well, you know, if it was up to Mike Leach, he'd win by 100 points here. But his offense doesn't move that fast, and he's not that good when he gets past into scoring position. So, but it's the bowl game of the day. And by the way, he's upset over player opt-outs. He's really upset about his tackle opting out, even though this is the same coach that left Oklahoma two days before their bowl game to take the Texas Tech job. So I, I guess it's okay for him. But no Mike Leach slander on this podcast. No yeah. Mike Leach slander. I, I won't bring it up again. But Charles Cross isn't playing. Uh, he had 919 snaps at the tackle position. Uh, and the next most experienced player is Nick Jones, who had 26 on the season. This is the blind side tackle. This is extremely important. And Cross had all the snaps in 2020. So if you're looking up and down this Bulldogs roster for somebody to fill in, it could be, you know, they maneuver one of the other four over there. But it's a new position, a new look, a new responsibility uh, so I think it's something that we definitely shouldn't overlook for a Bulldogs offense that's sixth and havoc allowed fourth and pass blocking. Uh, it's a really strong unit. So Texas tech doesn't have any kind of pass rush. Uh, the Texas S defense is atrocious. Horrible secondary, horrible secondary. <laughs> Opponents have scored on 43 of 48 red zone attempts against the red Raiders this year. So yeah, that's what makes me be like, all right, well, Mississippi state struggled in the red zone, but uh, anyone can score against Texas tech in the red zone. Yeah. Here's your antidote. Cumbie is going to pass the ball 57% of the time through the 11 formation. There isn't going to be any changes there. Smith put up 317 yards in the air and three touchdowns against Iowa State, which runs the 3-3-5. So I think that's really important when you say, oh, Mississippi State runs a 3-3-5. Well, Donovan Smith, the freshman, has seen it before and had a lot of success against the Cyclones. He is a quarterback that can roll out and take it on his own and get first downs. It's a total I make 57. There's a small case for the under with the slow pace of Mississippi State. 
the ability of Texas Tech to run the ball instead of airing it out. Uh, Texas with, Tech's slow, too. They, they play yeah, slow face. They're both slow. And, and so the one area I've always struggled with Leach offenses, and you've already mentioned it, I've said this for years, you take the air raid out of sync, you get them a bye week or you get them the first game of the season or in a bowl game, it doesn't translate to huge victories whatsoever. So this is a game where I want to play the under. A lot of things pointing to it. So first half under, under any inflated TTU line, maybe I can get up for that. But really, I think it's going to be a first half under play that comes through. Yeah, I think the first half under, because I, I, from a total perspective, I'm worried about both tails, which makes the first half under more tricky. Let me explain. I'm struggling with, all right, does Mississippi State come out rusty, right? As we've seen with leech offenses before, after buys, during bowl weeks, after long breaks. And then I'm worried about the end of the game. If they're rolling, it's just Texas Tech. Who he, this is his old team who he thinks owes the money. Like Mississippi State's going to run this up, right? Like they're not going to stop. So if they're up like 10 late, let's go score again, right? He's not going to take knees at the end. So maybe the first half under is the way to go. Yep. All right, let's move on to the fourth bowl game on Tuesday, December 28th. And that is the Holiday Bowl between number 18, NC State, nine and three on the season. And UCLA eight and four on the season. NC State is a one point favorite here over under 59. This game's at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox. I wonder if Gus Gus Johnson's on the call for this at Petco Park in <laughs> San Diego, California. I think is this got, the first bowl game in Petco? Yes, it is. We got to take an under immediately, right? Park dimensions, park. Yeah, Petco under. I guess one thing that I haven't looked into that we'll have to we'll talk about, maybe we'll talk about this on our live show, the field conditions. I remember the first couple pinstripe bowls, which we'll talk about soon, the field was a mess. Like they had to wear sneakers one year because it was so slick. And yeah. so the field conditions could play a part here. I don't, I don't know. Well, how you to, can... I've seen the way that they're lining up the grid and the wind is going to actually be 11 miles per hour and it's going to go sideline to sideline. So that combined with, we got to check the field conditions here. Anytime you get a bowl with new turf, you got to check it out. Like when they used to have the Santa games in Santa Clara where the 49ers play, like that thing was just a big mush pit, right? I have nothing on this game. This is kind of like, for me, this is kind of like Florida UCF. I have no feel. I want no part of it. Uh, I don't think motivation will be an issue for either team. It's an intriguing game. I just don't have anything here. What do you got? Well, you say they got hot to end the season. Three straight covers, covered every game away from home uh, except for one. They got over the win total of seven that we we hit on in the preseason podcast. Uh, this was Dorian Thompson Robinson's best season by far. And, and, and grabbing Ryan Gunderson as a quarterback coach from, from San Jose state was just a really big thing. And I, I think it's going to pay dividends in the future with Dylan Gabriel, but DTR's passing was just fantastic. He went 21, six TD to INT ratio through the air. He had another t- nine TDs on the ground. He hasn't fumbled since week eight against Oregon. And another big upgrade here for UCLA is Britton Brown is fully healthy. He didn't play the last two games of the season. Him and Zach Charbonnet, they created 92 missed tackles. They averaged 3.7 yards after contact. Uh, the key to beating UCLA is getting them into passing downs. This rushing tack is still elite. Uh, they can get up for this game. Getting them into passing downs and making long distances on third is really what you need to do, especially for NC State. They're number one graded pass rush in PFF. That's a, that's a really big thing that you want to get Dorian Thompson Robinson a little shaking, uh, get him a long down and distance in third down, which NC State can do. So for NC State, the program, I don't think they've traveled to California since the 60s. High-powered offensive attacks did get the best of Tony Gibson's 3-3-5 defense at the end of the season. 
North Carolina covered, put up 297 yards on the ground. Wake covered, they put 290 up through the air. This is a highly successful defense, sixth in rushing and passing success rate, but they give up the big play a lot. And that's what's scary when you're going up against UCLA. UCLA passing downs are going to be electric. They're going to decide the game, period. Now, offensively for the Wolfpack, Devin Leary is fantastic. 31 big-time throws, nine turnover-worthy plays. And we talked about Petco, but keep an eye on UCLA special teams. Punter Luke Akers, uh, he went into the portal. Uh, So, you know, they're going to be searching for someone to punt. This could mean really good field position for NC State. And to me, this is all about third downs. UCLA's offense, 16th in the nation in conversion. NC State's defense is fifth in opponent and allowing opponents to convert third downs. The single stat, if NC State can stop explosive DTR plays, is going to be on third down. So, you know, these are two of my favorite teams that I had in the preseason. But I'm going to side with the better defense, the better special teams, the better finishing drives on both sides of the ball and the better tackling team. And I took NC state and I bought a juice money line. Fair enough. I'm going to try to, I don't know how you can find info on the field conditions ahead of time, like, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to try to dig in there. All right, let's move on to the fifth bowl game on Tuesday. And this is a 10 15 Eastern on ESPN talking the guaranteed rate bowl between Minnesota and West Virginia Eight and four Minnesota is a five point favorite over six and six West Virginia over under 45. This game will be played at Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona. What, what's with all of these uh, baseball stadiums? Is Neil all- Brown, your boy, West Virginia, your boy. He's four and oh in bowl games. Really intriguing storyline of this game is so PJ Fleck fired offensive coordinator Mike Sanford Jr. and he replaced him with Kirk Sorokka, who used to be the offensive coordinator in Minnesota and then came back. Well, he but Circle was the, an offensive analyst at West Virginia this year. Now he's hired as the offensive coordinator. Fleck and Brown had an agreement that he would not be the offensive coordinator during the game, but he's, a, he's working with the team and he's allowed to share whatever he knows. So I, I assume that's a huge strategic advantage to know the in, ins and outs of the West Virginia offense in preparation for the bowl. I, I don't think that's being talked about enough, but he's not going to be on the sidelines, but he's going to help with the entire bowl preparation. West Virginia star running back Letty Brown will not be participating in this bowl. When I look at this game, when I talk about Kent State can't kick it off, West Virginia can't kick it off. They are horrendous. I mean, the starting field position, the only team worse, average starting field position, than Kent, the only team worse than West Virginia was Kent State. But when I look at this game, Minnesota, huge offensive line. They want to run the ball. I think they're top five in standard down run percent. They, just want to, they don't run it that well, but that's what they want to do. And they're a super snail. Super snail. They're basically down there with like Army and Navy, like just run at a ton. And then they want to hit explosive pass plays. Not an efficient passing attack, but just run, 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 try to hit an explosive pass play like Ottman Bell or right. The only like so the West Virginia offense is meh. The West Virginia defense is meh. Like they're slightly above average on a national scale. The Minnesota offense overall is meh. The one elite unit in this group is the Minnesota defense. And I think that combined with the fact that Soroka can just that that coaching edge of the insight that he can provide in bowl preparation I think that ultimately might be the difference I wish I got Minnesota early on but I'm leaning that side the problem is like the difference between three and five could be big in this game because I think this might be lower scoring lean to the under in Minnesota as of now well, what do you see here Yeah, I mean, uh, Kirk Soraka, he's going to sit this game out. Uh, P.J. Flex said during his presser they made the decision to bring him back to the program before the bowl game was announced. 
but he spoke with Neil Brown and uh, they didn't want any awkwardness for the bowl game. So, you know, he won't be in the press box. He won't be on the sidelines, but that does not mean that he is not taking everything that he ate. I mean, he was a huge part of West Virginia's game day preparations, a huge part of the game plan. (laughs) By the way, side note, Mike Sanford Jr. got hired as the offensive coordinator at Colorado. So just take a guess on where our first win total under is coming next summer. Uh, For West Virginia, you know, Letty Brown is out. His 1,000 yards, 13 TDs have opted out. But if you look who's next in line, it's Mathis. And, you know, he had 59 attempts. He posted the same yards after contact uh, rate. I'm not sure how much of a drop-off we have for West Virginia at the running back position. All of that said, I, I think the advantages that we speak of for Minnesota, especially from a coaching perspective, I think that's currently baked in the number. Game's going to be slow. It's going to be ugly. Both teams are outside the top 90 in pace. Both defenses rank 20, top 20 in preventing the big play. There's no reason for me to move on a dead number of five. So if, if the number wants to keep on moving, then I'll definitely take West Virginia. If we get some pullback to four and a half, I'm definitely going to have my eyes on, again, West Virginia. Uh, I think I, I think I'd disagree with that. I mean, I just trust the Minnesota defense, the field position, but maybe the under is the way to go. I, I can see this one being ugly. They couldn't have picked a worse game for 10, 15 p.m. Why is Leach not at 10, 15 p.m.? Anyways. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Wednesday, December 29th. And we'll start off with the Fenway Bowl. What's another baseball bowl? Uh, the inaugural Fenway, the first Fenway Bowl, the first bowl that we played in Fenway Park. Field conditions, but and it's outdoors. We got to look at the weather too here. This game's at 11 a.m. on ESPN between six and six Virginia and eight and four SMU. Virginia is now two two and a half point favorite, depending on where you look. Over under 71. SMU lost their last two bowls in 2017 and 2019. Virginia opted out of a bowl last year. They lost in 2019 in the Orange Bowl. In a couple interesting staff notes here, Virginia's staff will remain intact for, for its bowl game. Bronco Mondet Mendenhall announced he's going to retire, so this is his last game. And then it's going to be Tony Elliott who's taking over. They hired Tony Elliott, and Brendan Armstrong decided that he's going to come back, so he's expected to play in this bowl, which is obviously huge for Virginia. And Virginia has a number of key players that entered the transfer portal. I mean, they're Remington Award finalists as center. They're you know starting tackle, guard, uh, starting linebacker, but they're all expected to play, um, which is a good sign. I think that this team's going to be highly motivated for Mendenhall and send them out on top. Wide receiver Billy Kemp, their second leading receiver, he won't play due to an injury. And Bobby Haskins, one of their starting offensive linemen, same thing. He's giving surgery. SMU, on the other hand, they'll have a new coach here after Sonny Dykes left. He also took off its quarter of Garrett Riley and a few other assistants with him. So it's going to be – and they hired Rhett Lashley. He's coming back to SMU. He was there at one point. And he has familiarity with Virginia from his time in Miami. But he's not coaching in this game. It's actually going to be Jim Levitt, who was a head coach before at South Florida. So he does have head coaching experience. And, by the way, these are two, like, air raid – these are two – we talk about Leach. These are two air raid disciples. Um, you know, you have the Virginia offensive coordinator who's left and won't coach in this ball either. There's so many moving parts – Dykes and Lashley all used to be part of – they're in the leech trade. It's also worth noting SMU will be without two of its top receivers. Reggie Roberson and Danny Gray opted out of the bowl, declared for the NFL draft. They combined for 100 catches and just under 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns. Mordecai is going to really have to rely on Rice and Calcaterra, their tight end. I think that they have some talent at wide receivers still, but those are two huge losses. These two teams, leech trade, very similar in nature. Top 25 offenses, pass heavy, you know, average, below average defenses. Just these are offensive teams. Both also went one and four down the stretch, faded down the stretch. Virginia D is below 
Uh, I mean, they're, I have them, I think, 105th. They're bad at everything. SMU gives up a ton of explosives. And like I said, they're fast. They're 13th in an adjusted pace. Virginia's actually just not as fast, but they're, they're above average. When I, look at, when I look at this game, I say to myself, all right, it, does SMU care with all these coaching changes? They're, they have guys opting out. They're going up to Fenway. Like, this is a Texas team in December. It's going to be cold. Virginia's a lot more used to that. They want to send Mendenhall out on top. I think Brennan Armstrong can eat this SMU defense alive. I think Virginia, look, they're going to give, they're going to give up yards to SMU, but they, they can buckle down in the red zone and in certain situations. I think that this line is too cheap for Virginia. Um, I think the situation, the environment, the motivation, all of that favors Virginia in a game, which should have a lot of points, but the, you know, the offensive coordinator is gone for, there's a lot of continuity issues with SMU. I know you're losing two of your top receivers. I'm, I think I'm going to end up playing Virginia here. Thoughts? Yeah, I did play Virginia earlier today. Uh, I decided to grab also another one of these uh, juiced money lines, but I think that this is your live betting game of the day. Uh, there could be enough points here where you're going to get some big swings and, and you mentioned it all from from both sides of the ball, you know, an SMU team that's covered just once away from Dallas. And now you're going to send these Texas kids up north to Fenway Park. And, and I think here's what I find interesting about Brandon Armstrong. Like if you want to go down, you know, for all the other podcasts that just want to rely on narrative, Brennan Armstrong dreamed of playing in Major League Baseball. He was a lefty southpaw pitcher uh, and his dream was to play for the Red Sox. So here he is trying to win one for Bronco Mendenhall on his way out has been talked to, uh, talked to by Tony Elliott to come out of the portal and play for Virginia. So he's got motivation, like double coach motivation. He's also trying to get all of his teammates to get out of the portal and stay with Virginia too. So not to mention he submitted his papers for his NFL draft grade. Uh, this is just a monster game. Like, I mean, from a motivation perspective, it doesn't get any bigger than Brendan Armstrong in this game. So, you know, SMU is interim coach coming up without two of their best targets. I mean, there's nothing more you can say about that, but I do project the game at Virginia minus two, a total of 66. There's no way I would play an under in this game period. Uh, both these defenses are beyond terrible in passing downs. This is a lay it with Virginia. Who's motivated. Hasn't lost their most explosive players. And I would look for a live line on SMU. If they actually show up, I think you're going to know, in the first five minutes, 10 minutes, two or three series for SMU, if they're going to show up. So I'm laying Virginia now. I'll worry about it mid-game if I need to come back if SMU actually shows up. All right, let's move on to our second bowl game of the day on Wednesday, December 29th, and that's the Pinstripe Bowl. Another baseball bowl, unless we play the Yankee Stadium in New York, 215 Eastern on ESPN between Virginia Tech and Maryland Votech. Both these teams went 6-6 six and six on the year. Maryland is out to a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Over under 54 and a half outdoor game at the pinstrip. Well, field's been a little better over the past couple years, but you want to check the weather. Should be cold. I hate Maryland and I bet Maryland. So everyone should just go out and bet Votech now. I bet Maryland at a pick before a lot of these outfits come out and the line move. I would play it up to minus three, not at three and a half. I don't like Maryland. I don't want to play Maryland, but there's, I, I'm not sure this Votech team is going to show up here and they lost a ton of talent uh, to opt-outs. So and, you know, they have an interim coach here in J.C. Price. The current staff will stay on board through the bowl game as they transition the new head coach, Brent Pry. But here's who the Hokies won't have. Wide receiver Trey Turner going to the NFL, their best receiver by far. Defensive tackle Jordan Williams, 
their defensive end, Amari Barno, their best cornerback, Jermaine Waller, just a huge loss. They're starting guard, Smith. Braxton Burmeister, their starting quarterback, transferred. He won't play, even though he wanted to play. They also lost Tavion Robinson, who's also their punt returner. Their backup quarterback, Knox Kadem, he's not available. He went to the transfer quarter. So now it's going to be junior Connor Blumrick is the starter. Their center, Brock Hoffman, he's going to enter the NFL draft, but apparently he's going to play. So at least you have him. Maryland doesn't have any key losses for this bowl. We know about Maryland. They, they, can't, they can't defend anyone in the secondary. All they can do is pass. Explosive, not efficient. But I actually think that they can have some success passing the ball here, given that Waller's out, given that all these guys in the front seven are out. And I don't think this Virginia Tech offense can really test this really bad Maryland defense with, you know, a third-string quarterback. James Mitchell, their tight end, also going to the NFL. He's been hurt. He's out. So, like, all their best pieces on offense are out. You have offensive linemen missing side. This is just a shell of a Virginia Tech team. Uh, This is Loxley's first bowl at Maryland. I think they'll be the more motivated team here. And this is just – it's hard for me to see this Vatek team moving the ball, even against a really bad Maryland defense. So I took Maryland at a pick. I wouldn't play them over minus three. I hate this team. They'll probably find a way to screw me. I didn't want to bet on them all year. So and here we and here we are. Here we are. So heavy line movement for Maryland in a game. I would I would have made Vatek minus five before the huge number of opt-outs, the portal players that includes quarterback Braxton Burmeister. Uh, Connor Blumrick had 16 passing attempts this season, no big time throws or turnover worthy plays an average depth of target of 5.6 yards. There's just nothing here to go off of. And, you know, before JC price became interim uh, you know, he was the co-defensive coordinator and defensive line coach at Marshall offensively. I have no clue what we're getting out of Virginia tech zero. It's a Maryland game. The handicap on this game is if Maryland's going to turn the ball over. Every time they're in a game, are they going to lose the ball and lose that way? Net minus eight uh, turnovers on the season for a rank of 112th, 12 interceptions on the season, six fumbles lost. They only gained four. Uh, if you look at some of the havoc stats for Virginia Tech, it it's not good. So I don't trust either of these teams. The market is going to run until they find Virginia Tech money. And who knows where that's going to be? So no play for me. If I had, if I was in a pool, I'd take the under. I would back Maryland and I would cross my fingers. This one's ugly. Yeah, again, check the weather. Uh, it's going to be outdoors in New York in December. All right, let's move on to our third bowl game on Wednesday, December 29th, and that is the Cheez-It Bowl between number 19, Clemson, and Iowa State. Iowa State 7-5 and five on the year, Clemson 9-3. and three. Clemson is now a one-point favorite, over-unders down to 44. This game will be played at 545 Eastern on ESPN in Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. A lot of news here. A lot of news. Brees Hall, Iowa State star running back, opted out. Quarterback Brock Purdy will be out with, he'll be without two of his receivers, Joe Skates and Tariq Milton. They combined for 23 catches, 423 yards and four touchdowns. And Matt Campbell, rumors out there that he was going to be gone. He's staying, their coordinators are staying, but that's not the same for Clemson. They lost both of their coordinators. I think most importantly, Brett Venables is gone. He took the head coaching job at Oklahoma. And Tony Elliott, we just talked about, took the uh, head coaching job at Virginia. There's no official opt-out news for Clemson as of yet. The receivers and some guys on the defense are banged up. It looks like Andrew Booth, their star cornerback, is probably going to go in the first round, is practicing. He hurt his foot the other day, but he's apparently going to play. 
Justin Ross won't be back for the bowl. Um, Nada has a chance. EJ Williams will return as well. Ishim Young, one of the best players in the Iowa State secondary, he won't play in this bowl. So there's a lot of news, a lot of things going on. When I look at this game, my biggest bowl bet of the entire season was going to be Iowa State. I took them plus one and a half. I loved it. I made them over a field goal favorite here. And then, you know, you lose Brees Hall. You lose uh, a defender, a couple of receivers. I don't love it as much. I took a piece off with Clemson plus one. Clemson's now a one-point favorite. I still like Iowa State, but I think they'll be highly motivated here. They got crushed. Remember that bowl game? Who did they play? Um, Was it Notre Dame? That last marquee bowl game they played, and they were pretty embarrassed. And this is a senior-laden team. That TCU game at the end of the season, they cared. And this team, I think they're all together. Campbell stayed. I think they're really going to be focused here. Will Clemson care? I don't think so. This is a team that wanted to go to the college football playoff. Now you're, you're playing in the Cheez-It Bowl. By the way, every time I say Cheez-It Bowl, I think of that, that hilarious TCU game. I don't think Clemson cares. And the, we know the Clemson offense is awful. I think the Iowa State defense can hold its own here. Brees Hall being out is huge, but you can't really run on Clemson, right? Like no one can run on Clemson. So I don't think the loss – like. Maybe you miss a, a big play or two here or there, but I don't think it's as big as some people might think for this particular matchup. It's going to be Brock Purdy. It's going to be thrown to his tight ends. It's going to be making plays with his legs and creating. And the Clemson offense is just awful. I mean, they can run. They started to run it a little better at the end of the year, but I don't ultimately still don't trust this offense. Motivation edge for Iowa State, in my opinion. And the Venables loss is huge. Like, I, Elliott, whatever. I mean, the offense is just – they all they can do is run it anyway. But Venables, in-game adjustments, it, it, that's just a massive loss for this game against an experienced offense. So give me the Cyclones. I don't love it as much after some of the opt-outs, but uh, I think they get this done in what should be a really low-scoring game. Yeah, I'm, I'm going the other way. I'm taking Clemson. Uh, actually, I really like Clemson. Wow. Uh, I really like Clemson in this game. I mean, they had four out of their last five That's games. battle. Hit the hit – the, hit the, uh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> uh, let's battle, baby. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, king of uh, making shit up and getting my team motivated, Dabo Sweeney. But, uh, you know, Clemson – You and Dabo in bed together. Are you going to be excited to root for We've them? We've been together uh, for years. Yeah, I've been betting on Dabo and national championships since before the Action Network was bored. Uh, but for Clemson recently, I mean, four of their last five games went to the over. Uh, they finally scored, finally scoring some points, 30 points per game over the last five. They held South Carolina to no points. So with what pieces they have between the Lynn J. Dixon's transfer portals midseason, between the losing your best defensive player off the line in the middle of the season, they've adjusted and they're, and they're still beating opponents pretty bad. I've never seen a team get such a huge swing in power rating down and then power rating up in one season. It's been one, it's been pretty unbelievable. So if Dabo wants to play the whole, you know, card of, you know, they're not respecting us. I, we could certainly see that come out. The Brent Venables loss is a big deal, especially in game adjustments. But at the same time, teams were starting to figure out what it was that he did to steal signs. They were sugar huddling. Uh, they were getting around that. And really, I think over this past year, it became more about Clemson's athleticism than it did about Brett Venable's uh, stealing signs. So there's a huge talent discrepancy between these two teams when it comes to blue chip talent. And when you take five-star Brees Hall out of the mix, it becomes even bigger. And frankly, the real handicap in this game is Brock Purdy. 
his carelessness with the ball against the biggest teams on the schedule every year continues to be the reason why Iowa State hasn't won a conference championship. They haven't beat Iowa. Uh, I mean, everyone's going to point to an 18 to 7 TD to INT ratio. But if you look a little bit farther past those stats, he actually has more turnover worthy plays than big time throws this season. He is careless with the ball. Seven fumbles on the season. That's a career high. The Clemson defense is top 20 in havoc. They're third defensively in finishing drives. And this offense, like I said, they've scored 30, 30 points in every game for the last month or so. Give me the Tigers here all day. I, I just think it's a, I think it's a spot where there is a lot of Clemson hate in the market. There's a lot of love for Iowa State, has been since the beginning of the season. I mean, you stand back and look at these rosters and, and, the, and the sheer blue chip talent. They, it, to me, Clemson wins this game. Can't wait to battle on, what is that? That's the uh, matinee, 545 Eastern on Wednesday. All right, the final game on Wednesday is the Alamo Bowl between Oregon and Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a four-and-a-half-point favorite, over under 60-and-a-half. This game's at 915 Eastern on ESPN. It'll be played at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. Some call this the Alamo Bowl. I call this the Clown Bowl. Bob Stoops is coaching Oklahoma. The whole staff of Oregon and Oklahoma are gone. You have opt-outs everywhere. I have 0.0 clue how to cap this game. I don't know anything. So maybe in that case, you just take the dog money line. But there's a lot of opt-outs. There's a lot of star defensive opt-outs for both. Thibodeau's not playing for Oregon. Winfrey and uh, Benito are sitting out for Oklahoma. Oklahoma's second leading receiver. Hazelwood, he's entered the transfer portal. He's going to Arkansas. You know, Spencer Rattler and Stogner went to South Carolina. I didn't go on and on. Oregon starting cornerback DJ James. He transferred. I just, I don't know what to do with this game. No clue whatsoever. Who's going to care? Who's going to play? I mean, we've got a lot more opt-outs between now and this game too. So I, I'm not wasting time on this game. It, it stinks this game's at 9.15 Eastern. They should have put this. This should be the game that's on at like 11 a.m. We're not going to go with 11 or flow sports uh, with your 29.99 subscription for a UMass game. Listen, Lincoln I'd Harris, rather pay for to watch a UMass game than this game. Oh my gosh. I was just waiting for UMass to take the Gator Bowl slot. That would have been fantastic. So that would have been amazing. We're out with Lincoln Riley. We're in with the big game, Bob. There's reason to believe that this could be a shootout. And I, I think there is an angle to play here. Caleb Williams getting coached by Snoops. Uh, and eventually you'll have Brent Venables in as his new head coach. But, you know, Williams is not going to be chased around by Kayvon Thibodeau at all. There's not going to be any pass rush whatsoever. And we've seen what Caleb Williams can do when he doesn't have a hand in his face. He's actually been pretty electric. Oklahoma should be able to run all over this Oregon defense that finished the season 124th in tackling and 85th in defensive rushing success rate. What does that tell me? Caleb Williams is going to get past the line of scrimmage and a lot of arm tackles are going to get broken. He's going to take a few to the house. Even with Thibodeau, the sack rate and passing downs was fifth worst in the nation. That I, I know we touched on that uh, towards through October, especially when we were handicapping Utah, the two times that Oregon played them. Like you're that bad at passing downs to get into the quarterback. Like they, they, Cam Rising had all day through two games through eight quarters of just blitzing Oregon. So I think Oklahoma is going to score a ton of points. Now, if you go to the other side of the ball, uh, oh, and there's a huge gap in, in Oklahoma offensive finishing drives to the Oregon defensive finishing drives. It's not even close. So the same can be said on the other side of the ball. For Anthony Brown, Travis Dye, they're just going to run as much as possible. Uh, Moorhead still calling the plays. Interesting enough, watch for those Akron tickets, those Akron features to come through the app uh, probably around April or May. Um, 
you know, uh, Oklahoma's going to be without their two best defensive players. You mentioned them. Oklahoma 118th in defending standard downs explosiveness. That's been Oregon's game all season. First and second down, turning the corner around the, the tackle, getting that mesh RPO going. That's been their game the whole season. And, and busting, that's how they beat Ohio State with standard downs explosiveness. So, you know, a decent stuff rate from Oregon is number one offensively in that category. They're going to be able to move the ball in this Oklahoma defense. Here's the thing that you should remember, Stuck. I know that you call this the clown show and we need to honk the horn, but you know what that means? Every trick play that's been attempted in college football history is going to happen in this game. None of these coaches have to answer to it. None of these players have to answer to it. These trick plays may pay off in touchdowns. They could end up in pick sixes. Everything will be dumped out of the bag of trick plays because nobody is responsible for their job when it comes to this bowl game. So, yes, it is a clown show, but there's going to be some fireworks here. There's going to be some of the stupidest things we've ever seen in college football is going to happen in this game. So considering that both defenses are missing, they're, they're huge stars, uh, I think over 61 is the play. I projected at 58. This is just one of those things. I'm taking it over here. I'm not going to go wild on it, but there is reason to believe that both these offenses are can light it up. And big game Bob and Oregon will uh, run as many trick plays as they can. All right. Uh, enjoy betting that guy. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> let's move on. By the way, I said we had 14 bowls. We have 15 bowls. We have four left. Let's move on to Thursday, December 30th. We'll start with the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Are they going to pour Mayo in the winning coach here between? They are. North, I want to see Mac Brown. Yeah, that's what I heard. Mac Brown get covered in, in Mayo. Uh, let's start with the Mayo Bowl. And this is going to be played at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina, between North Carolina and South Carolina. And North Carolina is a nine-point favorite here, over under 58.5. Quarterback Sam Howe will play. That was the huge news here, and I think that signals that they care. Mac Brown's also been great in bowls, 14-9 for his career. South Carolina will be without their leading rusher, Sikonji Wright, their star edge rusher, uh, who opted out for the NFL draft, and Jason Brown, their quarterback. He's also under the transfer portal. That means Zeb Noland, who started the year, the grad transfer, will be the starting quarterback. Uh, this is easy for me. I think this is a North Carolina truck. I don't know if I'll yep. have the money line. Or, uh, I mean, this is South Carolina stinks. The poverty – it's Sam Halvers, Zeb Noland. That's all you really need to know. The North Carolina defense wasn't very good this year, but when they played bad offenses, which South Carolina is, South Carolina is a bottom 20 offense. They can't do anything right now. They don't have the leading rusher. They, they're fine. Um, this is, I mean, the South, yeah, this this has, and I, and I think the only question was, you're getting a discount because it's a bowl, and it's like, is, is North Carolina going to be motivated? Sam House playing in this bowl. I mean, that's all. And then, you know, it's like you're kind of, you're, you know, you're, you're close by rival in some sense. I think they'll care here in Charlotte. Um, I, this is Carolina or nothing. Well, not to mention that Beamer's been out recruiting. That's all Beamer does is recruit. Uh, one of the luckiest seasons on the books for the Gamecocks here to get even get to bowl season. Some of the worst offensive stats that you can find of any bowl team. And we're talking about some of the MAC teams we've already seen play before Christmas. Uh, 118th in offensive finishing drives. Uh, you know, bottom 10 and Havoc allowed. Uh, this South Carolina offense is really, really bad. It's a shit show, and it's pretty amazing that they're even in a bowl game. Not to say that North Carolina's defense is as good at, at many things, but at least they're outside of, like, the top 75 and not in the bottom 10 when it comes to their defense. But Sam Howe playing is the biggest difference in this game. 
Uh, we're talking some of the best offensive numbers out there, uh, especially from the run perspective. Like North Carolina has been hammering teams on the ground, sixth in offensive rushing. Powell's very good in that in that area too. Yeah, He's absolutely. I don't think South Carolina is going to have an answer here. They really won't have an answer on the ground. They're defensively 114th in line yards. Uh, awful run day. Awful run day. 99th in tackling. So, you know, whatever passes Sam Howell does complete, uh, like, I, like I said before, arm tackles are not going to cut it here against North Carolina. I agree with you. I think this is an absolute truck. Uh, can South Carolina score any points? For me, it's like I think North Carolina minus nine is the play. I'm going to play that. Total-wise, it's something I make 57. At the key of 59 I see in the market, I kind of want to go on an under on that. But really, it's all about if South Carolina can score any points. So with my North Carolina minus nine, I might play a South Carolina team total under. Um, I, I know that Shane Beamer cares more about recruiting than he possibly does about coaching this game with a roster full of players that he know, you know, some of them are out the door and he won't be keeping after he gets done uh, managing the portal and uh, bringing in his own recruits next year. Yeah, this uh, South Carolina, one of the worst bowl teams that you'll ever see. Uh, all right, let's move on to our second bowl on Thursday, December 30th. The Music City Bowl, which will be played at 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN between 8 and 4 Purdue and 7 and 5 Tennessee. Tennessee is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Actually opened as a two-and-a-half-point dog. Over-under up to 63-and-a-half. This game will be played in Nissan Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee, you know who's going to be there? A lot of Tennessee fans. Almost like a home field advantage here for Tennessee. By the way, this is Purdue's first bowl game in three years. The last time they were in a bowl was 2018 in this exact stadium, in this exact bowl, and they got absolutely destroyed by Auburn. Now they're going to play another SEC team who will have a home field advantage uh, with their, their crowd. For Purdue, all eyes were on the status of their star wide receiver. Is going to go play in the NFL, David Bell, and their star defensive end, George Carlaftis, they both opted out. Just massive, massive losses. The biggest weakness of this Tennessee defense is you can throw on them, like just efficiency, right? They're outside the top 100 in pass efficiency defense. So you can complete passes up and down the field, but now you're going to be missing Bell. And that Purdue defense, without Carlaftis, he, he commands so much attention, double, triple teams, it uh, it's gonna uh, that it's such a massive loss to not have him up front, and I think Purdue's defensive numbers, by and large, were extremely inflated by an easy schedule. You know they they played these the following passing offenses: Iowa, Northwestern, Indiana, Minnesota, UConn, Wisconsin, Illinois. These are teams all outside the top 110 in passing offenses, and they played Ohio State and got absolutely ripped to pieces. So uh, I just think the losses of Bell and Carlaftis are huge. I think Tennessee's a much better team. Hooker is just firing on all cylinders. I think they'll be able to move the ball up and down the field. The loss of Bell just kills this Purdue offense. Rocky top. Uh, I still like them at minus four and a half. I played them minus three, um, assuming that we would get these opt-outs. I wish I got the earliest number, but uh, I think this is Tennessee or nothing here. Yeah, and I think for me, the the hesitation on this game, I mean, it was a Tennessee play from the beginning, and the hesitation for me was the status of Hendon Hooker, the status of Cade Mays. I need to know that this offense that's the fastest in the nation, plays per minute, uh, that they're going to be able to exploit a Purdue defense that is 69th in big play percentage. Uh, <laughs> they're defensively outside the top 100 against pass explosiveness. 
Uh, and uh, standard downs explosiveness, Purdue defense 119th. So I needed Hendon Hooker to be healthy. He is healthy. He's going to play, and he's committed to playing for Tennessee next year, which was good news for Josh Heupel, and I think that's the reason why we've got some steam. It looks like we've got a lot of – Tennessee going to win the SEC East next year? (laughs) No, man. South Carolina is going to beat us all whenever we take an under eight and a half. Um, You know, I I mean – Hendon Hooker is really what made this offense go. When when Milton was running this, it just he held onto the ball way too long, couldn't couldn't run an up tempo, and Hendon Hooker was the perfect answer here for Heupel. So this is a Tennessee play all the way. I think the question is is can Purdue uh, get some points up on the board without David Bell? That Aiden uh, O'Connell David Bell uh, connection was you know enough to get us some underdog wins, but I don't think it's going to be enough here. Um, you know, Purdue went over just once away from home. They were not comfortable on the road whatsoever. And Tennessee had five straight overs to end the season. So while I have not bet on Tennessee yet, it's a line I make four, but that doesn't include opt-outs. So considering the opt-outs, I would make this much higher, somewhere around nine. Tennessee is the play. I think a Tennessee team total is a play, especially with the tempo that they are going to force down Purdue's throat. Major special teams difference here, too. Tennessee ninth uh, yep, special I have team. that noted, too. Pen- yeah. Tennessee, great. Beals Jones, one of the best returners, punt and kick returners. Uh, him and Marcus Jones, I think, are one, two. And uh, Purdue bad in the return game. And uh, Tennessee is one of the best punters in the nation, and Purdue bad in punting. So, yeah, that's worth noting as well. Also for Auburn, by the way. Auburn doesn't have a kicker. All right. <laughs> like Auburn, Miss State. Miss State doesn't have a kicker. I'll be curious. To see uh, UCLA's punter's gone. There you go. You know, so – these things are important. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's move on to the third bowl game on Thursday, December 30th. And we're talking the Peach Bowl between Michigan State and Pitt. Uh, I call this the News Bowl. That's basically what this has been over the past month. Michigan State's now two and a half point favorite over under 63 and a half. Pitt finished 11 and two, ranked 12th in the country. Michigan State finished 10 and two, ranked 10th in the country. This game we played 7 p.m. Eastern ESPN at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. So Pitt quarterback, Kenny Pickett, there's a lot of rumors out there. He decided to opt out. Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator, he also left. He's leaving for Nebraska. He won't coach in this bowl. They're starting quarterback. Damari Mathis, he's opted out. And on the other side, Michigan State, their star running back, many had winning the Heisman in the beginning of the year, Kenneth Walker, he opted out. Status of Jalen Naylor remains up in the air. Um, I We talked about this on our last podcast. I like the under here. Whipple's gone. Pickett's gone. Uh, Narduzzi's at the helm. I assume he's going to get a lot of runs. But just losing Pickett is just a killer to this offense. And on the other side of the ball, losing Walker. Pitt, you can't really run on Pitt. They give up some explosive plays. But And Michigan State just all run. That's all they're good at. And then they'll hit some explosive pass plays, which you would think would be matched up well with Pitt. But Pitt doesn't have to commit a lot of resources now to just stop in the run without Walker there. Right. Um, so, you know, and then with all these guys, these key guys opting out is a good chance. One of these teams just comes out completely flat. So this, uh, this total has been coming down. I like the under down to 55. I wouldn't go any further than that. The news bowl, a tougher one to handicap lines been all over the place. What do you see here? Uh, this was, I mean, for people that are following on the action app, I bought one side and then bought out on the other based on the news with Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett comes out after the AC championship game, says I'm playing in the bowl. And then a couple of days later, he's not playing in the bowl. And we didn't know what was going to happen with Kenneth Walker. Uh, you know, I go back to what I said at the beginning. 
Michigan State, no matter who's opting out or not, Peyton Thorne can still go over the top and hit Reed. Now, it looks like Jalen Naylor is going to play for this game. And so what that tells me is that Michigan State is not going to have any kind of running game whatsoever. Entire identity the entire season is we can hit the explosive play through the air, but you're going to burn us through the air. So I'm not sure if Pitt without Kenny Pickett, Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator is gone. I don't know what the offensive game plan is for Pitt. If they can take advantage of the fact that Michigan State gives up a ton of explosive plays, this is this is a tough handicap. It really is. I'm staying away from the side completely. And now that I know that Naylor is healthy and probably returning, him and Reed do make an explosive unit for Michigan State. That doesn't mean they're going to win the game, but it does mean they're going to get some points on the board. All right. Yeah, that's a tough one. Tough one to handicap. I do like the under, but yeah, it'll come down to explosive pass plays for Michigan State and, and the motivation if, if one or either of these teams end up not caring. All right, let's move on to our final bowl of this 15-game bowl betting preview, and Oof. that is the Las Vegas Bowl between Wisconsin and Arizona State. Arizona State's a six-and-a-half-point underdog. Over-under is 42. This game will be played at 10.30 Eastern on ESPN in Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. Arizona State will be without its two top backs, it looks like. Rashad White declared for the NFL draft, and DeMonte Trianum, he entered the transfer portal. They combined for over 1,400 yards and 21 touchdowns on the season. That's not great against Wisconsin's elite rush defense. Arizona State's top two corners – Jack Jones and Chase Lucas, they also opted out. Not sure how much that matters against Graham Mertz and Wisconsin's passing attack. These two teams are very similar in a lot of ways. Two elite defenses. They want to run the ball. They want to they play slow. And they have conservative coaches. All leads to an under, in my opinion. But you are playing on a fast track. I just can't see the Arizona State offense doing much here against a very good Wisconsin defense. Don't be without their starting safety, who's hurt. But uh, it's hard for me without their top two backs to see Arizona State doing much. I think Arizona State's defense can hold its own. Although Braylon Allen could have a big game here on on this fast track. There's not there's some worrying signs of of this Arizona State run defense, and they've had a couple really questionable games this year. And they lost it. There were a lot of injuries up front for them this year that really hurt. That I think caught up to them. Um, but I kind of want to bet this under, but it's a really low number for a bowl game. Totals this low have not fared well under 45 when you go under in bowl game history, and now you're playing on a fast track in Allegiant Stadium. What do you got here? Well, I mean, the other problem with a number that's at 41 and a half, and if you're going to take the under on it, is that Arizona State is 57th on offense and havoc allowed. They are careless with the ball. And that's just been their identity since Herm Edwards has been there. And Wisconsin's second. And penalties. And penalties. Oh, my God. There's going to be, what, 13 to 15 penalties here? Wisconsin, number two in the nation and defensive havoc. So you've got to be worried about, Wisconsin scoring without being on offense. Uh, that's definitely a huge possibility here. If you were to throw out special teams or defensive TDs, you can make a case. Wisconsin seventh in defensive finishing drives, Arizona State, you know, outside the top 30. Arizona State has no passing game whatsoever, and you're not going to pass on Wisconsin anyway. This Wisconsin defense is just on fire right now. You know, the Badgers' offense, they changed with the emergence of Braylon Allen. Uh, He's got plenty of time to get healthy here. I think Wisconsin is going to score plenty of TDs. And, you know, but from a finishing drives perspective, Wisconsin was bottom 10 in the nation. Uh, They just were not able to get points up on the board. They settled for a lot of field goals when they got down past the 40-yard line. Uh, So that is a proponent for, yes, you want to take the under here and maybe getting a seven on Arizona State is good. I'm extremely worried with how careless Arizona State is with the ball. I think that there could be some sort of TD that is not offensively driven here. 
So maybe the best bet is to play Wisconsin on a team total, or maybe take the Wisconsin side. I'm not, I'm not really sure I'm going to get involved with the total here. It's a total that I make at 43. So it, it's already past the mark, you know, 41 being key. We'll see, we'll see where this lands. Uh, I definitely want Wisconsin in this game. This could be a parlay. You know, I'm looking for parlay pieces to go with, say, North Carolina minus nine, right? Or if you're looking at somebody yep. with Tennessee since we missed the number, things like that. So this is definitely a perfect parlay piece because I just can't see any way Wisconsin's losing this game. All right, that'll do it. 15 bowls in an hour and a half, broken down as in-depth as you'll find anywhere. Before we get out of here, though, let's go three and out. We'll make this – you got one sentence to answer each one, so we'll go quick. All right. Out of the 15 bowls, favorite side. Could be a money line, too. I'll start. I'll go Virginia. Motivation, SMU, lot, lack of continuity, missing two of their top wideouts, going up to Boston – in, in the cold, Virginia gets it done for Bronco. Favorite side for you? I'm going to go with Clemson. Uh, I think there's too much disrespect. Brock Purdy's never shown up in a big game. This is a very havoc-minded defense against a Iowa State offense that is careless with the ball and does not have their five-star running back. Unbelievable. All right, and favorite total? I'm going to go Louisville Air Force over. Air Force is going to be able to hit a, the two or three explosive passes that they need. And looking at the Air Force defense, they've never seen anybody like Malik Cunningham. I think Louisville's not going to have any problems in space running around the Air Force defense once they cut the corner. I'm going to go – I guess I'm going to go ECU, BC, over. I think the way that ECU plays offense, they can have success with their zone running schemes. And I think Ehlers, you know, he's not going to have to worry about the BC pass rush on the other side of the ball. This BC offensive line can dominate the line of scrimmage against a small – ECU defensive line, Yurkovich a lot healthier now. He'll have time. I think they're going to throw a little more, but they'll be able to run when they want to, and then he can have time to pick apart this ECU vulnerable zone defense that basically gave up to 30 points to any team with a pulse this year. So give me the over there. All right, let's, let's do underdog money line parlay, third down. Where do you want to go? I'm going to go with Nevada. Uh, this is a team where the numbers just moved way too much. This is still a MAC team favored by seven in a bowl game. And I know that there's a new coaching regime and an interim, but this interim has everything to coach for. Uh, I think he's going to redesign the offense. Nevada quietly has two running backs who can put up big yards. Uh, that is a problem for Western Michigan, a team that is dead last in special teams, a team that is not good on defense whatsoever, especially stopping the run. This line has swung way too far with all of the departures that have come out of the Wolfpack out of Reno. Uh, this is a great chance to take an underdog where, you know, uh, nobody is expecting this team to show up whatsoever. I'm going to go with Houston. Uh, I think these opt-outs for Auburn signal that they might not care about this game. And what's really the motivation too, other than you're in Birmingham, you lost your Super Bowl against Alabama. You lost four straight to close the year. You don't have McCreary. You don't have your best linebacker. You're missing a bunch of starting offensive linemen and you don't really match up well with Houston. I think Houston's defensive line can dominate this game. You don't have, you know, the downfield passing attack to attack the Cougars where they're vulnerable. And I think Houston can have success throwing the ball with Clayton Toon, Nathaniel Dellum company against an Auburn secondary that will be missing a first round draft pick and their best player on defense in Roger McCreary. So let's hope that Dana Holgerson doesn't punt this bowl as he's done in bowls past, but give me the Cougars. All right, that'll do it for us. Thank you for sticking with us. Let's close out bowl season strong. Let's get those bounces. Let's have the variants go our way and uh, enjoy the bowls. Embrace the variants. 
Appreciate you listening. Thanks as always, Colin, for joining me. Happy holidays to everyone out there. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All stay safe. Enjoy your family, friends, your alone time, whatever you're doing, the balls. And as always, we appreciate you listening and sweating with us. You make this so much more enjoyable. And uh, we'll be back with Bowl Betting Preview Part 4. We'll be doing the New Year's Eve Bowls, which involves Rutgers now. We have five bowl games. The New Year's Day Bowls, which is five more bowl games. And that includes the college football playoff on New Year's Eve. And then we have LSU Kansas State on January 4th. So we'll cover 11 games next week. Looking forward to it. But uh, enjoy the holiday weekend. And uh, let's get hot. Appreciate you all. And we'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.